Please turn with me to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, to chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. We'll read that chapter, which serves as the focus of the message tonight. In chapter 4, we get a vision. John receives a vision of God enthroned, God in his majesty. And as part of that vision, he is also shown this, this issue, this question of who might bring forth the will of God for history. This comes in the context, of course, where John himself is suffering, banished to an island called Patmos, and he receives a vision, a message from Christ exalted uh, to the church, seven churches of Asia Minor, Minor, which, of course, are abiding messages to the church today. Revelation chapter 5, these words. Then I saw in the right right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more, behold, The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down, and worshipped. Thus our reading from God's holy word. We may be pleased to bless that word to us. Congregation, you, you get to the book of Revelation, 
Some people are intrigued by it. Some people keep it closed. It's confusing. has all this confusing language. Then in the hands of some preachers, they read it from daily headlines. And they're always trying to draw equal signs between some modern happening. Putin means this. And Biden means that. And they try to read the book of Revelation by reading contemporary news accounts. We always do much better to read the book of Revelation from where it's rooted, the Old Testament. And the symbolism and the biblical story is given us there. But there's another thing that's important, that the book of Revelation was written, first of all, for the church back then, back when, which then also has a relevance for us. But first, first audience, first recipients, back then, back when. And in that light, what about us? So it's not to be a big forecast so that we read headlines and try to make deductions, dubious ones but to understand a back then, back when, so now we can understand how that might apply to us today. What about back then, back when? You have an exiled apostle. You have a suffering church. You can't read through the letters of the seven churches without seeing, boy, it could count and cost a lot to follow Jesus. Count the cost. And for some, it costs them their property. It costs them imprisonment. It costs them great suffering for the testimony of Jesus, including John himself, who's banished to this island, we're told, because of his witness bearing to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, in other words, a time of suffering. And it's in the light of suffering. You have this puny little church amid a great big Roman empire, you have Caesar, he's Lord, he's king, he's the mover and shaker. It's the Roman Empire that calls the shots, that has the strength, the might. And what is Christ's little church huddled, sprinkled, peppered about throughout the Roman Empire, small, and they can take one of Christ's own disciples, his beloved disciple, and cast him off to silence him on an island. It's a suffering church in its suffering to whom the Lord gives this vision and shows us in this vision, first in chapter 4, God enthroned. If you're weak and fledgling and, and small and puny, how helpful to see not a human perspective under the sun but a divine perspective looking down, and that's what chapter 4 does, where he's introduced to see God in his might, his strength, his majesty, the gathered church there, the four living creatures before his throne, angelic beings who ever before the majesty of God can do nothing but forever say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And beholding him as for the first time for eternity. Because our creatureliness can't take in 
the divinity and eternity and the majesty and beauty and might and glory of God. So every moment's like the first moment. Holy, holy, holy for eternity. Is your God too small? Well, no, not God. But is your conception of God too small? Yes. Do you think of Him as tiny and weak and only able to do so much? Wrong. And chapter 4 starts to help us to see this God is the mighty God, the forever God, the glory God, the power God, the might God. Now, it's in that light we need to understand our world. Because we cast our eyes at the world, and it's no longer a Roman Empire, but it's some other empire, some other nation, state, some other governing authorities, or business empires, the billionaires upon billionaires that shape and mold and call shots and manipulate and finesse the world the way it is. And what can we do about it? And we live in a wealthy nation. And we're well off as Christians in such a nation. But we look about and it always feels like we're losing. We're not winning. It always feels like we're on the bottom end, not the top. It feels like the world and Hollywood and the media and, and such power brokers, they call the fashion shots. They shape the moral fabric. And it's not, it, it's not what we would will for the world. We're losing. That's what it feels like. And then we look at ourselves. So you take your eyes off the world and you ponder yourself a little while and here we are failed again flunked again struggling with that same sin again falling into that same sin again blowing my top again short-tempered with someone again someone I love likely thinking those thoughts again coveting that way again failed again here I go again can God forgive me again? Losing. And there our culture goes again. There the world goes its way, fleeing from God, ignoring his law, his will, refusing his grace, his call to help and hope. There it goes again. Oh Lord, what is going on? Oh Lord, your apostle banished your church suffering, your church under attack. Oh Lord, what is your will? And it's in that light that we're given this vision of one seated on the throne with a scroll written within and on the back and sealed with seven seals. Now, it's important, again, that we not lose sight of chapter 4 as we read chapter 5. Because there in chapter 4, we not only read of those four living creatures and what they forever say, but we're told also 
that around this throne are 24 elders who likewise fall down and praise to the one seated on the throne and worship him forever and ever. The 24, which uh, some commentators would explain to us as the church from the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles upon which the whole entire church forever is built. And so the church surrounding the throne of God, the church triumphant in worship of God. Um, Now, with that context, this scroll. And it elicits a big question. Because an angel goes forth proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Now why that's so important is because this scroll contains the will of God for his church, for kingdom come, for the outcome that we await, an outcome for a suffering church, a puny church, a weak church that feels like it's losing. But that's us looking up from under the sun and trying to calculate. This is a vision of how God sees it in his majesty and sovereignty and goodness. Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Who can say for history, thy will be done, O Lord? Who can enact that this will of God come forth and be manifest and made a reality in well, from here to eternity. It's a big question for a suffering church when one of the big apostles are silenced and oppressed too. It's a big question for a church today in which we feel like we're so easily swallowed up by secularism and bad morality and just the distractions of life and what it has to offer. A big question, who can get us from here to eternity? Well, I can tell you right away, it's never going to be Reverend so-and-so or such-and-such. It's never going to be a set of elders list put down in the bulletin. It's never going to be you. It's never going to be me. None of us are worthy to say thy will and enact thy will be done, O Lord. In fact, that was the question that's elicited here. Who's worthy? No one in heaven or or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look inside. None are worthy. And that's why John weeps. Because how do you get from here to eternity if the will of God cannot be done? Lord, how do we come to the fruition of the blessing of salvation if there isn't one worthy to do Your will? To enact Your will? To break the seals and make them go forth? Now, it's important to understand this scroll. In our day and age, we have books. We have pages that are put next to each other and then stitched or glued together and they, they form a book. But in 
John's day, they didn't have books that way. Instead, they had scrolls. And you'd take parchment, usually a, a piece of leather, and it was precious material. And then they would stitch these together side by side. By the way, not like this. <laughs> it was drives me crazy. Uh, like this, okay? The scrolls, and they were stitched together side by side. And that's how you would have a document of that sort. They also had what you might call official documents or legal documents, such as like a last will and testament, which is something like what we find here, except it's a last will and testament for the new covenant in Christ's blood to come to its fruition and its manifestation. And as would have been the case with any official document in those days. Today, you might have a notary put a stamp or some sort of imprint on a page with signatures, and that makes it official, makes it legal and binding. In those days, they would, they would seal it with wax seals, and there would be a signet ring of your family crest or name, and then that soft wax would be dripped onto the page, and you would press that into the, the wax, and now it's official, it's legal, it's binding. So we have this official will of God from here to eternity. Who can make this will happen? Now, it's important to think about that because this is how you get saved. This is how the church gets built. This is how the church is, finds its perseverance through suffering. This is God's will and wisdom, which includes bowls of wrath, right? And trumpet blasts of judgment. This is a will of God that comes forth in human history and it, it cycles forth manifesting God's will to gather a church and judge a world unto kingdom. This is why John's weeping, because no one's found worthy, then how are we ever going to get from here to eternity? Well, as I said, it's never going to happen by somebody who's finally just another nobody in this world. It's not going to happen because we have a favorite theologian. It's not going to happen because we happen to know a man we considered exceptionally godly or a grandmother who was exceptionally... Such people God uses as part of his will be done, but they're not worthy to enact his will done. He weeps because we're never going to win on those terms. And it's not going to become, it's not going to go forth because my will is done or your will is done. This is John's cry, and yet he gets an answer. I began to weep. No one was found worthy. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. There's various ways to talk about Jesus Christ. Here's one of them. The one who's the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root 
of David, who's done something, who's conquered, who's been to hell and back, so to speak, the one who's bore our sins, the one who's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the one who's the Lamb who looks as though he's been slain, slain and yet risen. He is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. Lord, your will be done. Even through this misery, this suffering, this struggle, this burden. And that gets very individual too. The will of God be done in your life with these obstacles, with these trials, with these tears. Who's worthy? Only one is worthy, the one who loves us to the full, the one who suffered for us, the one who knows us to the depths and still loves us, the one who bears our sins upon himself, your misdeeds laid upon him, the wrath of God upon him, the slain one who's, though, alive and victorious. That's what we're told. And we're, we read in verse 6, Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven. Notice how he's described seven horns and with seven eyes the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. Horns. We start to find the answer to the question. A question and answer. The one slain, the one who's of the root of David, the lion who fights the good fight of the faith to bring us to victory, the conquering one who makes us more than conquerors, that one, this one with seven horns, you know, don't mess with the bull, you'll get the horns. The power is in the horns. And then this number seven, a number of fullness. The one who thus has all the might, all the strength, all the power. The one with seven eyes who sees all, comprehends all. You might as well call him the omnipotent one, the omniscient one, the all-seeing one. That one, that one is the one who sends his spirit out to do his will, his saving work, the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. That's how we all get saved, the work of the Spirit through the Word. It's never the Word by itself has the power, the Word empowered by the Spirit, the Word that targets hearts and changes them, the Word that targets your heart and brings you to repentance. The word that enlightens your mind and uh, brings you to faith. It's a grace word, a grace work. And he went and took the scroll and now thy will be done from here to eternity. Man, we, do we need that? And do we need to hear that? When we wonder about things going sideways economically and who's in charge and wherever, wherever intrigued and tempted to look very horizontally at life 
And life is lived on these terms and by our calculations and by our vote. And that's blessing. Our votes. We just need enough of them. That's not how we get from here to eternity. In fact, what we discover here is when he took the scroll, the four living creatures, whoever are praising God, the 24 elders, the church gathered in its worship, they fall down before the Lamb. They fall down to worship this one. They're holding harps. They have golden bowls full of incense, which we're told are the prayers of the saints. These are the ones, that, the, the prayers of the saints that are our prayers, our our trials in which we give expression to God, our, our bewilderments, our Lord, I don't understand, our groans inexpressible, the prayers that reach God like a beautiful fragrance in His nostrils. It's, it's never a case we burden God with our prayers and it's just noise. No, it's like little children learning to speak and we're helping them along to talk. And that little baby talk comes out of our children's mouths and we applaud and we repeat and we help them and we delight in it. That's our prayers before the throne of God. Learning to talk and exercise our faith to Him. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, this is, I have no answer. I don't know where to turn. I don't know what, what to do. What's your will for me? This one's worthy to say, Thy will, the will of God be done in your life. For your salvation. For your life to give its own note of glory to God. There's only one worthy. And all the creatures, the myriads of angels, there's only one. Our Savior, King Jesus, Root of David, Lion of the tribe of Judah, Lamb of God, slain yet no longer. This one. They sing a new song. The question gets an answer in Christ our Lord, who will take us from here. To eternity. Worthy are you to take the scroll. Worthy are you to open its scrolls. You were slain. By your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe. And language. And people. And nation. It's not for one little set of borders. The gospel reaches forth to the world. He sent us into the world. He sent us to cross boundaries and borders. He sent us to, to enter into languages and different towns, byways and highways, unknown places. He sent us to make a language, learn a language, write a language for a people because they're his ransomed people. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to be our God and they shall reign on the earth. Thy will be done from here to eternity. Now that's a very different perspective on history than simply listening to David Muir in the nightly news 
or your Fox News channel and what's the latest that the liberal politicians are up to and the hand-wringing that we do as we listen to it all. This is a very different perspective, is that all things are in God's hands. God's surprised by no election results, that he will bring nations up and bring them down, make economies rise, make economies fall. And God is the one who can break a seal and trumpet blast, bring forth judgment on the earth that harm the seas and the crops and the dry land. He can open and pour out bowls of wrath to say, this is what humans deserve, a siren song in their ears, the will of God, listen, believe, repent, humble yourself. Church, pray to God. Your salvation is not going to be found in a politician, but only in this one, the only worthy one, the only one who loves you to death, to hell and back, the one who offers us all to make you his own. That's the one who's worthy to bring us from here to eternity. He's the one who's ransomed us. He's the one who has sent forth those to speak our tongue, to speak our language, to make him part of his kingdom. What are we called? A kingdom and priests to our God. We are destined to reign with the king. We're under the regime of kingdom come King Jesus. We belong to another. We're made citizens of a land that has an eternity, a home. And priests to our God. What's a priest? Well, this is what a priest isn't. Give me, Lord. Satisfy me, Lord. It's all about me, Lord. Me now, Lord. Uh, meet my covets, Lord. Help me, Lord. And it's all you know, the little focus of life. That's not a priest. The priest is looking out this way. It's off self and on to others, interceding, offering prayers, open hearts, have mercy, heal those lives, bless them in their poverty. Use us, Lord, to be your servants in this world because we're under your reign. That's the song that the church sings with the four living creatures. And I looked and I heard around the throne the four living creatures. Wow, what's the response? You get this question, you get an answer to the question, what happens? Worship. Heaven comes unglued in worship. I looked and around the, the, with the four living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels. How many angels? Myriads and myriads of angels. How many? Thousands and thousands of angels. And they sang in quiet, somber voice and in utter boredom to him who sits on the throne. No. Heavenly worship isn't dull. Heavenly worship isn't distracted. Heavenly worship isn't thinking about Monday. Heavenly worship isn't thinking about Saturday night. 
Heavenly worship isn't boring. Angels, myriads upon myriads, thousands upon thousands, in full voice, loud voice, saying, what are they saying? They're saying, worthy are you to take the scroll. Myriads, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. All the words. Worthy is that one. And now that's the only proper response for the one who can take us from here to eternity. The one who can say, thy will be done. Even in our individual lives. You know, it, you can be, it can be disconcerting to know that God sees us in our trials and our pain and some of the things that are uh, tests and, and, and burdens in our life. But if we pause a bit, there's a great deal of hope and comfort here. You think of John banished to an island, silenced effectively, you have this puny church sprinkled about the Roman world, weak, doesn't have military strength or financial wherewithal. It's not even a legal religion at the time. The state can treat you badly, banish you, take your property away, very vulnerable in the world, very unlike what we, we experience most of the time in our own land. And yet... This tiny, puny church is shown its future. How we're going to get there. And the rest of the book of Revelation shows us something of that. And it's not without suffering. And it's not without trial. And it's not without God's judgment. But filled with God's grace. God's leading. God's healing. All in Jesus' name. All for Jesus and yes, that's encouraging for a church that has to scrimp by while the world in its worldly ways, its scheming, its lies gets rich and fat and smug and conceited and confident in its foolhardiness. How can we ever get there through the one who loves us, who died for us? That's how. Through the lamb slain. Through the one who in weakness brought victory. The one who was ridiculed, glorified. The one bearing a cross gives us the crown. The one who can say, thy will be done, truly. We're given the portrait of our redemptive future. And that gets very personal. Whether your testimony is that you were raised in a Christian home, and really don't remember a day in which you didn't know Jesus. That's grace of God. Or you were raised by broken parents who taught you mostly an ungodly life. But God gets a hold and leads you forward in faith and transforms you. Same grace. Same mercy. Same redemptive story unto kingdom come. This enacting of the will of God is why we learn to pray with Jesus, not my will, but thy will 
be done. Some people live a, I'll just put it this way, a pampered life. They don't go through a lot of trials, and that's, that's great. That's praise God's name. What a blessing. Some people, even in their faithfulness, not their unfaithfulness, even in their faithfulness, know trial after trial, burden after burden. And yet, God's will to build his church and to glorify his name. So important as we look at our own life, whatever's been beaten up in us, what's bruised now, scars you might feel in your own heart. You know, so important that we not stop learning to realize there's only one worthy. Sometimes we can fantasize in our own hearts, well, if, of course, we never say it. But if I were God for a day, I would convert this person this fast on this timetable, and I would certainly make this so. And I would undermine them and get them out of the way, and I'd make this happen because it's my will be done. But we need to pray and live thy will be done through the worthy one. And that means when we face suffering and trials, we also learn to sing this new song with the church triumphant and with the myriads of angels. It means that we learn to long to see a people transformed into kingdom and priests. It means we long to know who wins, how, and why. The four living creatures have one big response to the big angelic church song. Amen. Amen does not mean, as the Heidelberg Catechism reminds us, it doesn't mean... Uh, That's all, folks. Goodbye. The end. It means truly so. Most certainly, yes. Amen. Thy will be done. Amen. With bowls of wrath and trumpet blast, seals broken up. Amen. With a life that was stationed here at this time, this place with these parents and these trials that are calling me to faith. Amen. Under God's care. Amen. His persevering grace that hasn't let me go and won't. Amen. His mercy that finds me in my darkness, my repeat offenses. There I go again, flunked again, failed again. And I turn to him again. Amen. Because he's going to take me from here to eternity according to his mercy and his grace. He's the one who helps us, who loves us. Indeed, shall we join the church with a resounding response of worship and an amen with the four living creatures as the elders fell down and worshiped. Lord, your will be done. Lord, bring us from here to eternity. Amen. Our gracious God, we ask that you would help us to walk this life of faith. Whether our life is known mostly 
positive blessings with few miseries or many miseries in which our faith struggles. Teach us to see that our lives are in your hands and the one who bled and died for us will see us through. And may we learn to say ever and anew, amen to your will being done. For Jesus' sake.